Welcome back, fellow spy nerds. We got uh, another uh, TV series to talk about here. This time it's going to be the 2019 French made but English language Netflix show about uh, Israeli spy Eli Cohen in the years leading to the 1967 Six Day War. Um, so this is another. This is another one of our. Uh, semi-biopics, you know, obviously they just say it, uh, inspired by true events. Right. It's not exactly, it's not exactly a a biopic or meant to be entirely factual. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, of course, uh, produced it and starred in it in his first dramatic role, which I had heard good things about. Um, I think he's... I think he just surprised people by being good in a dramatic <laughs> role. Right. Uh, Sasha being, of course, mostly known for Borat and similarly zany characters. Um, do you know Do you know what are two that I know of? Repeat appearances on the yes. podcast are for us? What are they? I do. The first one um, you see right away, uh, Stan Beeman from The Americans. Yay. And the second one, which was a pleasant surprise, was Dr. Baltar from uh, Deep Space Nine. Bashir. Dr. But... Bashir. Not Baltar. <laughs> but good. Dr. Bashir. Sorry. Uh, but good. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I would have recognized Bashir. He has got an entirely different energy going on in this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And those actors being, of course, Noah Emmerich and Alexander Siddig, uh, respectively. I don't, I don't know a lot of the people's names in this TV show, so I'm probably going to use actors for a lot of the, a lot of the references. Or we could just go ahead and agree to call Noah Emmerich Stan Beeman. That'd be, uh, yeah, fun, <laughs> that'd be fun for me. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay, and we'll call him Doctor. The other guy, Doctor Bashir. Sounds awesome. good. Okay. Um, what do you want to tell us about this show? We're going to um, talk about, wait, sorry. We're okay. going to talk about, right. Slight departure from our TV format, or or maybe this is how we'll do it for mini series. There's only six episodes in the series. So instead of first, middle and end, we're just going to take each pair of two episodes. Today we'll talk about episodes one and two. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for, I mean, we did this with the night manager. So I think if there's little enough, we can cover most of it. So I I kind of like this because we get to like dissect a little bit more than just kind of doing like a broad stroke. I'm down. So uh, what 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 do you want to what do you want to talk about about this show? Uh, do we need to set it up a little more about broadly what happens in episode one and two? I mean, it's pretty simple. First first episode is the recruitment process and the second episode is him making contacts in Buenos Aires. So I guess we'll talk episode one first. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like he was a soldier for Israel um, at some point and he always wanted to be in Mossad and I guess applied a few times, but they turned him down. Um, and uh, I, I guess they really, really, really needed somebody in Syria and I guess he's of Arab descent, even though he's Jewish. Um, so uh, since they had his file on record, they decided to recruit him and 
I guess, fast pass him through getting into Damascus. His cover, um, I think, is kind of interesting. He's kind of like an international buyer. And, and I guess that's his ticket into Syria. Textiles. Textiles, that's right. That's what he did. Um, uh, that's kind of it. The first couple episodes, we get some um, a little bit of training montage. And then they kind of just rush him into his cover story. And then try and put him in place with the ambassador of I mean he's not in Syria right right they're gonna what what they're thinking is um you know it's stated that Buenos Aires is the number one spot in the world for um Syrian expat or Arab actually he says Arab expats Mm -hmm. um so there's just there's just a lot of a lot of Arabs there in a non-Arab country and they feel like that's a, a good place for him to practice. Although, you know, when he gets there, uh, it's pretty clearly stated that they suspect spies everywhere. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, or which at, I- at the very least, they're on yeah high alert due to a due to a recent event. Um, can we talk about his selection and cover? Um, his selection for I think they kind of go together, but uh, just why it's. Uh, stated in the show he'd be a good candidate uh-huh. like, like like why him i mean one i mean cool arab uh awesome he's he's an arab jew so right. uh and you know lives in israel so that's that's a plus um the fact uh well he's not actually an orphan but that's going to be part of his cover right is, uh you know both his sister and both of his parents have have perished, and he's all alone in the world. He's got the backstory of his father having his his parents having been born in Syria, and his father had just always talked about Syria and how great it was, and followed the politics and everything, and always wanted to go back someday, but wasn't able to. And and now uh, Ellie which is the name of our spy uh, whose cover name is Kamel uh, wants to, uh, he wants to visit his, his father's homeland and, and he's, he's made a lot of money and, and he sees what's happening in, in the politics and stuff. And he wants to make a difference. That part is all cool. Yeah. He sounds like kind of the perfect candidate to get out there. Um, I, 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 uh, I personally thought a lot of this was super rushed, but they kind of told us that at the beginning. Um, yeah, uh, six, six months, six yeah. months of training. That is not a lot. No. And to set up, like he just kind of comes in out of the blue. Um, but as far as setting up his cover, he was right. It, so part of his cover is that he doesn't have a wife. He's kind of like a, you know, um, a well-connected bachelor, uh, but uh, I guess his handler in Buenos Aires caught him writing an, a letter to his wife, and he had like a whole stack. And I that was something I really liked. Um, you know, uh, he's pretty new to this, so he's not going to be thinking about it. But the handler just going nuts on him, like there is no Eli, there is no Nadia. Nadia is his wife, by the way, <clears throat> and she she's like. 
you know, get rid of this. You, you don't have a wife. You don't, you're not Eli. You are Callum. And, um, and then he kind of slips, Oh, well, I won't write anymore. She was like, anymore. How many more do you have? And she finds a whole stack and just burns them. And it's like, um, do you understand like this, like the, there's, there's no mistake. Like mistaking your identity is like a death sentence. Um, so I thought that was kind of a cool setup for that. I like that as well. It did. Do you want to talk a little bit about his, uh, when, when, uh, I don't know, before we go off into, um, him kind of seducing the ambassador, um, when they were training him before sending him out, there was like a little montage of his training. Um, one of the things that they trained him on was counter surveillance. And, uh, I liked that, uh, cause he basically had to test every day to spot who was following him along the same path. And they told him, you know, zigzag, use reflections. And of course, being the newbie rookie, the first place he goes to was his sunglasses hut to look at the, the mirror, <laughs> which we always make fun of. Uh, but I thought it was cool for this because he's kind of a newbie. And each time he goes through the test, he starts using new and new, interesting, creative ways of spotting people who might be watching him. Right. Um, yeah, funny. It's it now I'm I'm wondering if you uh if you run it slightly different depending on whether or not uh you believe you've been made. Like do you act diff if you think that if you mm, I don't know. Maybe that's not there's nothing there. But like in Stan, a Beeman tells him not to linger too long at the at the sunglass mirror. He was only there for like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> if if you just stop and glance, you know, oh. real quick, and then move on, it doesn't look like you were actually even thinking about buying sunglasses. It looks to me like you just wanted to check a mirror real quick. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Are you checking to see if you're being followed, or are you trying to? Uh, make sure that, like, you know you're being followed and you need to act super, super natural so that they don't suspect that you're anything that they actually should be following. Just right. thought that was weird. And also, I'm, eh. You know, when he finally does spot the tails, uh-huh. Beeman tells him, still tells him he was wrong. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I'm, I don't know that we actually get a reason for that, but... I, I would guess so that he's always assuming he's being watched. Um, but yeah, that, that was weird. I would have liked to kind of see uh, the fruit of that training come about to see what, what it was that he was doing. Other than him telling his tales, you guys are getting sloppy. <laughs> this newbie spotted you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know, you know, if you're definitely, if you're trying to teach the guy how to do the thing correctly i think you really do have to tell him when he did it correctly because otherwise he's going to change his shit up um but also it made then it's i started thinking well i mean there was that first part where they gave the very first test is they give him the wrong address they give him the address that's across the street from where he's really supposed to be Mm -hmm. and he figures that out and then this lying to him about him spotting the agents it kind of made me think of this idea of Maybe just pe- during training, just periodically tell him white lies. 
and see if he catches them. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in terms of like, you, you know, you need to be able to, and you know, me, Stan Beeman, you know, I'm supposedly like a super pro at this. So I'm a really good liar, uh-huh. but every, every once in a while, just, you know, tell him that the lunch is going to be tuna instead of chicken or something. And <laughs> <laughs> See if he notices. Um, so I thought I thought a really cool development of this would have been for me is like you tell him he was wrong and then he comes back at you, maybe not immediately, but like shortly thereafter and says, you know what? I I was right. Why are you lying? Why are you saying I was wrong? This is and and then Beeman like breaking down and saying, hey, that was that was just the next part of the test. I wanted to tell if you could tell that someone was lying to your face. Right. <laughs> that would have been dope. Yeah. Um, 24 after six months. So then Beeman's Beeman's bought Beeman's worried that he's not ready. Mm-hmm. Beeman wants more time. This kind of guy always wants more time, right? Yeah. Um, although Ellie is showing like what looks like to me, or the show is supposed to be, uh, selling me the idea that he's very, very dedicated and very apt and like a very quick study on this stuff. Um, but Beeman has just lost, you know, he's of course has to have like lost an agent that still like really bums him out and that keeps him up at night. Um, but kind of gets strong armed by his boss into, into pushing him out after six months and then gives him 24 hours to think about it. Like 24 hours. You could, you could still come back and say, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting one um i don't think you can afford to invest six months of work into this kind of thing and then have the guy say no but i also think that the chance that the guy is gonna say no is virtually zero right he's Um, he's pretty he's pretty gung-ho about it um Beeman does later uh, point out that he's too committed to it. Like he's got something to prove. Sure. That makes him really uncomfortable. Um, like, are you, are you suggesting that maybe Beeman's testing him by giving him the 24 hours? I think ultimately what I'm going to walk away with is that I'm going to tell him he's got 24 hours to think about it, even though I know he's going to say yes, mm-hmm. but it's psychologically important that he knew that he had an, an off ramp, even oh. though I know he's not going to take it right L- later, later down the road, he's not going to be able to say to himself like, Hey, I didn't sign up for this. Right. You guys, you guys, didn't, you guys didn't tell me it was going to be dangerous. What yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, that's the best I have on that. And, and I think, I think yeah, pretty much all my notes on uh episode one. Uh we we talked about why Buenos Aires is is gonna be the place he's gonna go. And just like our um little pixie chick in um Libero, uh they're not sending him right off the bat with like necessarily a direct target, but just to make make friends with influential people. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we'll 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 go from there. Establish your cover, 
right make friends with influential people um and i guess even though it, it comes i think uh, it comes up in episode two but just to wrap up this cover story thing uh, you know, he's claiming that uh, his his father built one of the most prominent textile companies in South America. That seems like something that would be dastardly easy to check. Right? The, 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 I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it seems to me like there's a lot of little moments like that that could have gotten him in trouble um, if someone just checked on him, you know? Uh, like he brings up, oh, my father is from here and he's a known blah, blah, blah. Well, if, if, if all this stuff is part of your cover story, it would seem pretty easy to check. And like you pointed out, if he's got one of the most prominent textile companies in South America and I'm doing my due diligence, you know, as far as intelligence goes, I I would kind of already know what business that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, um, I mean, the main guy that he's uh, got primarily buttered up is, uh, I guess, the the number one, I think, probably Arab-focused newspaper in Buenos Aires, the editor of that, that newspaper. And he's really, I mean, primarily accomplished that by being the guy's number one um, advertisement buyer. That that I thought was kind of cool because um, that's definitely a good way to buy yourself into some uh, what's it called <laughs> like connections. Like if you're spending that kind of money on a newspaper, right? Uh, people are gonna listen to you and want to help you out and let you in on the in the club, right? Yeah, but it worries it worries me because like I don't see his company. Like what? What is he advertising? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we don't ever get to find out about. Well, kinda... there's a part later in the series. I know he hired a bunch of people to package up a bunch. Like he starts. I see him start doing business in Syria. That's going right. to be later in the in the um in the series. Uh-huh. But I don't see him actually doing any business in Buenos Aires. And that part of that being his cover just. Of course, you know, like, hey, we want to get this done in six episodes. So, okay, I don't, I don't want to hang, you know, I don't want to hang around on that topic too long. But just, just, just to flag it, yeah. <laughs> like, I would think to do this operation with this cover, but then, I, of course, I get tripped up by the fact. Well, this is supposedly based on true events, so you know, maybe they did do it this way. Um, but it seems to me that to to run this kind of cover, you'd also have to. Uh, run an entire textile company with like scores of employees and like some warehouses and stuff. Right. You would have to have set up a very successful textile company (laughs) that you're running. Like, you know, you know, you hear about these types of little businesses that in all the cold war films, like MI six running like a tailor shop or the CIA running like this, this newspaper, this small independent newspaper, whatever, you know, I'm sure there's like scores of different little businesses that, that all these intelligence agencies have legitimately ran. So in for this exact reason, right? Sure. And there was the guy in, um, let's see. Who is the Russian spy we covered? So, so, uh, the jet, the guy in Japan, Russian spy in Japan. Oh, spy Sorge. Sorge. 
Yeah. Um, you know, one of Sergey's compatriots had set up like a very lucrative business as his cover in in Japan. Do you remember that? There was oh, actually I- some con- some concerns about that, that he was like m- more, more focused on making money than on the mission. Yeah, no, I absolutely remember. I, sorry, I thought maybe you, I wanted to let you finish your thought on that. But uh, no, that that I thought was a great cover, moving from one country to the other. You know, um, the and the fact that the that his buddy had a legitimate setup made it all the better. But yeah, you're right. It did get to the point where it was: is he really spying, or is he just here to make the money? Um, which I'm sure is the case. I think that's what I really liked about Spy Sorge is we kind of got to watch the life of a spy so much as as we do with like ooh little little these twists and turns. You know what I mean? Um. But like you said, we only get six episodes in this, and apparently there's a little bit to unpack. I don't know. I feel, I feel like the night manager did in, in five episodes did a great job of setting up a cover, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But his his cover was his cover was someone that had been hiding his identity from authorities. Not not a prominent textile yeah. business community. Right, yeah. right, right. That's a good point. Very good point. Right. Well, the um, uh, the relationship with the newspaper editor is is gonna pay off in in terms of getting invited to a party at the embassy, where he gets to meet uh, General Amin Al Hafiz. Mm-hmm. Who is a uh, actual historical figure? I believe he did, you know, he did come to uh, be the lead ruler. Ruler is that what they do? Do you rule Syria? <laughs> possibly, quite possibly. Some some of those countries are still monarchies, right? And and dictatorships and stuff. So it's very possible that he became the ruler. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that guy is actually possibly going to come into power in in this series. Um, well, that'll be nice to see. Yeah, how far are you into it? Uh, oh, I didn't want to watch past the second episode specifically okay. for this recording. Um, I, I did watch the first episode like forever ago when it first dropped, and um, haven't watched it since uh, d- deciding to do it for the show. So. Um, I wanted to make it fresh for the recording and make sure that I didn't have any um, notions that I might bleed in as like a spoiler. I, I kind of like doing these show ones as we go. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah. In uh, my my style, or at least I figure one of us needs to have watched the whole thing. However, I'll always stop before watching the final episode because I don't want to know the entire story. Yeah. But I do kind of want to know. Uh, how how it's going, but yeah. So I'm pretty sure this this um this guy who right now he's the Syrian ambassador to Argentina. Buenos Aires is in Argentina, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but he's already seen as someone that could uh be a future uh leader of Syria, and um, Ellie definitely uh. Again, just just massively tries to butter this guy up about how big of a fan he is, and that he thinks that you know someday when 
you know, the opportunity exists, you're going to need uh, funders, people like me, and, and people that are passionate about enough, you know, that share your passion about Syria enough to open their wallets and uh, help you get done what we all need to get done as loyal Syrians. Rah, rah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I kind of didn't I, look, I, I'm going to kind of throw out a spoiler there for this episode that I, I am not really that big of a fan of the show. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I kind of want to point out here, I think I'll go on a little rant towards the end. Uh, but um, the, I, I don't believe the seduction. Like he's like overly trying so hard and it's like so obvious. And I feel like an ambassador, especially like a Middle Eastern one that's used to like, um, you know, culturally where it's, you know, th th there's a lot of um, emotional words that are thrown around. I, I, I would like to think an ambassador for any country has had the experience of someone trying to feed their ego to where they're not going to um, fall for it. And, and a lot of Ellie's, uh, I guess, flattery is so on the nose, you know, he might as well have worn the sign like, Hey, I'm trying to flatter you. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't subtle. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, smooth it wasn't like you know they just like it, it you, you got like a couple shot of them at a party and then all of a sudden they're bffs you know what i mean like after the party on top of all this like other stuff happening so i i, I wanted to i don't know hit some i mean i guess i guess ellie's new but still like he's it, it's so obvious it just bothers me i'm sorry but uh, the, you, you brought up how how he was charming him with the like you know someone as important as you and blah 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 and yeah it, it was it I don't know it it didn't sell me especially it's like even if he could convince the ambassador there's no way Doctor Bashir should have fallen for for it which it looks like Bashir is very suspicious of him already but um, it, it should have been overwhelmingly obvious with how. How how on the nose the the flattery was. I agree with you, especially at the end of the episode. But I can't really, I can't really go into my supportive details uh -huh. uh, without going through the rest of the episode first. Okay, uh, on that, yeah, yeah. Um, the they are, I mean, they are on the lookout for for spies, and they've got a really good test question, which is where are your parents buried. I like right. this one. I like this one a lot. Um, this is better than uh, mother's mother's maiden name. Uh -huh. That's something you know. Mother's maiden name is something they use a lot, uh, or at least they used to. Maybe not so much not, uh, post internet, uh -huh. but um, mother's maiden name used to be something that was often used as a as a you know part of the process of like replacing an ID. Or a social mm -hmm. security card. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always thought like, you know, that's actually a really good question because it's something everyone knows the answer to, but probably 99% of their friends don't. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's kind of perfect. It would have been just um, within the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, where are your parents buried? That, that's, that's a damn good one. Um, because 
if you don't know that, you're a fucking spy and your whole story <laughs> is bullshit. Right. <laughs> um, but it's also something that, you know, you'd have to be pretty fucking experienced at, at doing this kind of shit to, to think that deeply into uh, filling in your agent on his, on his, on his backstory, you know, to know the exact plot. Absolutely. Uh, that it's at. Cause you can't just, you can't just say what cemetery it is. Like you have to know, you know, this is a place presumably if you're uh I don't know. I don't know if there's anything particular about Muslims about honoring their dead parents, but you know, I guess I, I'm, I'm assuming that it's something that you would think like a good uh, Muslim would be visiting his parents' grave, like at least once a year or something. Right. Um, so yeah. So yeah, that was good. And they checked that right away. They don't even wait until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, they send a guy out uh, immediately. Um, so, you know, he's, he's going to have, he's going to have passed that test. Uh, and his job was just to make these contacts. That's all he's really supposed to do. This is really, I mean, this is really even, uh, I guess, you know, a primary objective is to get a letter of recommendation to, to get him into Syria, mm -hmm. which apparently is part of that process. So that's job number one, making powerful friends along the way. That's definitely like good as well. Um, but he's going to see and grab on an opportunity that wasn't part of his mission plan. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. He spotted a photographer at like this big, what is it? Like a, like a gala, like a, like a ball, some sort of, I don't know. What, what, what do diplomats do for, for funsies where they're trying to network and rub elbows? Like what, one of those type of things. Um, and I guess it, it was at the embassy. At the embassy. Yeah, it was at the embassy. He notices a photographer, and the photographer puts his camera down, and he just swipes the camera, um, which was a little risky. And I think this is something that Beeman brings up and, and the handler brings up as well. Like, this is not what you were asked to do. Um, this is this is very risky. Um, I highly agree with that. Um, but considering how new he is to the trade, uh, it, I, I guess it fits the bill that he would like try and overextend and, and grab the, like, you know, Oh, I see an opportunity. I'm going to take it. You know, um, he doesn't have like the decades of experience. Um, Why does he need the camera? Oh, well in the film of the camp, the photographer's taking pictures like everywhere. You now have specific individuals, especially since th during the training montage, they were showing them pictures of, I guess, high profile targets or people of interest. Let's just call it people of interest. He was oh, yeah. like going through slideshows and memorizing these like persons of interest. And many of those persons of interest were at the, the gala and getting the film, um, placing certain people in proximity together is like a really big deal. Um, uh, where you could say, well, these people met, well, what are they meeting about? You know, like, and, and this kind of helps you piece together the network. If, if that's what you're trying to like, I guess, sketch out is like, who's connect. Like you, you see in those kind of like mafia movies where the detectives got like, this guy knows this guy and that guy knows, you know? Oh yeah, totally. I, I would totally think like a, those photographs are probably worth their weight in gold. Or yeah. Once he develops the, the photographs, he's, he's writing down people's names on the back of them before he goes to, 
hand them off to his uh, operations person. Um, oh, let's see. I had her name. Anyways, his uh, Maya or no, not, no, my, not Maya, not Maya. Um, anyways, this, this lady that's his, uh, she's definitely her handler. Okay. She's okay. kind of running the op. Yeah. Right. But I thought like the, the initial impetus of grabbing the camera was so he could, uh, climb up into ambassador's office and, and photograph some documents that he'd seen. Oh, uh, I thought he was just grabbing them or taking notes. Did he have the camera? I thought he got the camera after that. See, now I don't remember, but um, <laughs> I guess but, I guess we'll have we'll have to skip it. But he does he does climb, you know, not only swiping the camera, that's a certain level of risk, but he also yeah. climbed up the side of the building. I I, I I screamed parkour hardcore when when he did that um from the office if if you've ever seen that. But uh that was super risky. He's just gotten his face in. Um, nobody really. Uh, his, his only his only mission was to get in Assyria and get a lack of recommendation. He he really was trying to be James Bond here, and and the risk actually led him into a very dangerous position. But um, I I just really want to point out how much of a desperado he's trying to be. Not only is he like going like parkour hardcore into the guy's office to get documents without being told this. And he's like stealing someone's camera. It's pretty reckless. If you ask me, cause all he needs is the letter of recommendation to go to Syria. That's, that's all he needs. That's his only mission. It's just kind of, it's kind of sus. And um, I think the only way they would have held on to him is the fact that they need someone in Syria fast. And he's kind of the, the guy they just spent six months training. Um, I think any other agency or any other circumstance, they would have been like, get the fuck out of here. You need to follow rules. I, I don't understand why you would do that. You literally put like a lot of people's lives at risk by doing that. Um, but it looked pretty cool, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right. Um, well, even worse than that to me, you know, cause she's supposed to be the more experienced partner. Um, I my big like what the fuck is when she you know he hands her the envelope and she starts pulling out the pictures. I mean, yeah, they're like it's they're at a restaurant. It doesn't look like there's anyone around, but come on, yeah, she's pulling out the pictures and discussing them with him, like like right there. That that was that was pretty iffy, and that's how this one guy who'd gotten suspicious uh, of Ellie and had followed him. Uh, you know, they, they, he's spotted them. They spot him, blah, 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 foot chase, fight, fight, fight. The guy dies. Um, probably the most obvious surveillance ever. They're in the middle of like what a park or something. And he's just standing out in front of a tree. There's no other people around. He's just standing there staring at them like a peeping Tom, you know, like it, 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 he wasn't fooling anybody. Yeah. Um, great. But I, I, one thing I did want to point out, uh, I guess, like plus movie points. Um, I, I really liked that the both of them had to kill him. Um, you, you know, a lot of spy films, our protagonists are like, you know, um, triple 10th degree black belt masters of every martial art and weapons experts. And it's just one guy taking on 50. But here, the handler and the agent had to f- 
how to fight off and kill the guy from the ambassador tailing him. So I kind of, you don't see that in a, a show very often. Right. Yeah. This, I mean, this part's really hard for me to buy um, yeah. <laughs> that, it, that, it, that it went uh, down this way. And, you know, um, the, also, you know, what she said about the guy just standing there in the open, that, that did bug me. And, you know, it's bugging me even more now because as I don't think Ellie ever, I'm not sure Ellie ever saw that guy at the party. The guy might think like, you know, he could have just walked by and looked like he was out for us, you know, just passing by the restaurant. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, instead of standing, standing under the streetlight like that. Um, also when he goes to try to escape, you know, he tries to hide, you know, just run for your car, dude. You know, right. that Ellie uh, showed up on, on a train. So if you get to your car, you're, you're free and clear. Right. <laughs> um, maybe you should have a gun. I don't know what the rules are on that. Right. You know, for, In, uh, Buenos Aires, like, or yeah. just being an agent. And, I, yeah. Yeah. Ambassadorial staff or whatever that, that. Yeah, that could be iffy. You're maybe not supposed to be running around with a firearm. Um, a lot of a lot of movies and TV shows would just like cheerfully ignore that. That, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, it, it's true the guy didn't tell anyone he was following Ellie, uh, and we didn't or no, we kind we did mention it. This is the '60s. We don't have cell phones. And so the guy didn't have an opportunity to tell anyone who was following Ellie, but Ellie don't know that. Right. So when this guy disappears, like, uh, so here, uh, yeah, risk, like the idea. Now, of course, he's getting the orders and she's telling him here that the plan is for you to lay low. Right. Yeah. You don't go back to the embassy. And he's like, no, that's the one thing I can't do. I have to walk right back into the embassy pretending like nothing happened. This is the next day. Yeah. Um, and that's when he makes, I think, and that's where I want to go circle back and like underline and, and support uh, your notion of it being so obvious that he's trying to curry favor. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's showing up with gifts and his, um, his compliments are just so lavish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my yeah. God. The conversation last night was the best I've ever had in my life. You know? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. 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 I, I feel so honored to be in the presence of a hero of Syria. It, it, it just, it was, it was a little much. Well, I'm going to spoiler alert and I'm going to say that it gets better. Okay. Uh, I think especially uh, episode four, something gets set up that gets paid off in episode five. It's a massive spin uh, twist in the story that I thoroughly enjoy uh, and makes me excited to finish off this series with episode six. But um, before we sign off, I've got one last note I want to throw in there and then I'll, I'll ping you for, Anything else you got? Okay. Um, we mentioned how fierce Alexander Siddig's portrayal of this security chief is. Yeah. I mean, he he looks he looks like he's got something up his butt. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> and, and and that he knows someone in the someone in the room is the person who put it there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, this angry little fist of a face, you know, yeah. with these two bulging, glaring eyes <laughs> as he's looking around at everyone. I think it's really cool to watch. I, I, it's fantastic. It's the thing that uh, would have made me, if I didn't know from like Wikipedia or whatever, I think Alexander Siddig would have slipped past me as far as recognizing him. Oh, <laughs> but but I want to say this. I want to give a note to Mister to Mister uh, Bashir, Security Chief for the Ambassador's um, Security. If you could just relax a little bit and calm down, then maybe people would relax around you, right? <laughs> and that's what you want, right? Yeah, right. You you don't want to broadcast. I am watching all of you for any slip up. <laughs> Fucking smile, smile and have a drink and tell a stupid joke and laugh and, yeah. and watch them laugh as well and, right. and put, put them at ease around you. That's my note for him. And maybe even look sloppy, you know, Oh, we could trick this guy. But if you're like, yeah, no, no, that's a good point. If you're running around like just just putting your eyeballs on everybody, obviously, like people are gonna be on the guard, and now you can't find the you know the the weasels in the in the chicken coop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good point. Um, but it was still fun watching Doctor Bashir run around with a stick up his butt. <laughs> he's he's super fun. He's super fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, love it. Um. But uh, yeah, uh, if you don't have anything else, I, I kind of want to give a mini review. I haven't finished the show, but this this is I, I forgot why I didn't like the show. And then um, going back and watching these two episodes reminded me very quickly. Um, who's who's the director? What was it? Um, crap, what's his name? It's like uh, Gideon Raff, I yes. guess, is the director. Um I don't know what else he's done. Um, and I don't want to just shit on somebody because uh, he's made movies and I haven't. I'm just some jack off on a podcast, right? You know, like, uh, so, you know, power to him for getting like a project done and stuff. But th there's something that always irks me about content that I watch when they insult the audience. And um, every, like, you know, Todd and I have watched a lot of spy films and I don't care like how broad or narrow of an audience the spy film goes. They don't they don't hand everything to you and there's always something subtle going on or at least a little bit of subtleness so that like no matter what level of spy content you've consumed you can you can enjoy something, you know. Um I I just feel like this the dialogue in this and the writing feels like a soap opera and like everything is just kind of or like network. Well, like the, the, the cinematography doesn't feel like network television, but it's just, everything is so spelled out and, and the people talk like kind of aliens, like there's, there's really no natural dialogue. And, and I, I thought this was going to be like an interesting artistic choice. Cause you know, Sasha Baron Cohen has this kind of like goofy, luggy, awkward mannerism about him in this in this story. And I thought it was going to play really big to like the rest of the show or his character. And it kind of doesn't. I, f I feel like I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities. And and 
it, it's it's just there's so much shit on the nose like it's really choppy like the moment when beeman's secretary is basically hinting like hey do you want me to send everybody home and we could fuck you know like it just came out of nowhere you know what i mean and and there's a lot of these little moments where shit just comes like the accusation of beeman trying to send you know ellie to his death so he could fuck with his wife or some shit it, it, everything it, it seemed like like uh, uh, an elementary student kind of putting this story together. I don't, I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I, I kind of felt a little insulted. Um, so it's really hard for me to engage. But there's so many of these little interesting ideas. They're just kind of like wrapped up in a little bow for like any anybody, you know. And I feel like if you're going to go into the spy genre, you, you should assume that people that like spy stuff is going to watch this, not just like anybody, right? Even if it's their first spy film, like there's going to be something they'll pick up on and then they'll they'll enjoy the mystery of trying to figure out what they just watched. You know, Th- this kind of feels like somebody wrote a spy film for like a bro, you know, that's taken some time out of his uh, getting fucked up and pants dropping schedule to watch a spy film for the first time or something. I don't know. I don't know. This is just how I felt. I don't, I don't know if you felt the same way. Okay. Well, uh, uh, Gideon Raff, uh-huh. um, who writes and directs this show, uh, is best known for creating the uh, Prisoners of War TV series, oh. uh, which became the american version of uh the american version of which was homeland which he also co-developed and wrote at least the pilot for okay um so just there's that okay uh if if and i i don't know how you i don't want to sit down and spend too much time comparing this to homeland they're right (laughs) completely different animals really yeah Um, absolutely but okay as far as what you're talking about about it feeling a little paint by numbers right (laughs) i think i i think i want to have that deeper discussion in in our final summation of this series but let's uh let's set this table up to to say that this is going to be okay help me out if i'm if i'm wrong but i think this is one of three real life spy stories that we've covered there's sorge uh-huh. there's cumberbatch in the courier um munich. there were kind of okay yes 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 munich but here i'm gonna narrow the focus beam a little more i just want to talk about real life deep cover people. oh i see yeah, yeah, yeah i see so that's mean. why so that's why i didn't count the guys from algiers or munich uh-huh but i think it's the Courier, Spy Sorge, and now this one uh, are all kind of well. They're they're actually all very structurally similar uh-huh. too, and so uh, there's a framing device. I think I'm not sure there wasn't one in the Courier, but there is in this one. There was in Sorge where we kind of know the end at the beginning, like we know that he was eventually captured. Right. You know, that's not a spoiler because that's the like the first scene of this series. Yeah. And and I wonder I mean, some of the things that we're seeing, like the uh the the forlorn wife 
the fact that we know he was captured, you know, the fact that he does get captured, uh, the training montage, like a lot of these elements that we're seeing, I wonder if people just feel like you can't tell a true, you know, true in quotes, life story of a deep cover agent, unless it has these particular elements and that we're just saddled with that. But at the end of this series, I definitely think we should set these three spies against each other in, in how oh, thought their stories were told. Absolutely. No, I think that's a, that's a great plan. Um, I, I definitely see that plot format in all three of those. Uh, and, and I think, I think those would be great comparisons because those three are very different uh, in style and I guess approach, but still have that same format you're talking about. I think but they're that's all, yeah, fantastic but idea. Mechanically, they're all like really hitting the same beats. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to do uh, that. Uh, I'm going to keep that in mind going forward for the next episodes to kind kind of remember like, okay, well this was on that one and stuff. Yeah. No, no, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Fantastic. So uh, I'll meet you back here next week. Yeah. At the old, at ye old park bench. Yes. <laughs> that's right. To, um, uh, to talk about episodes three and four. And uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping you're gonna get as uh, I, I'm hoping the end of episode four is gonna is gonna draw you right back into this one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm excited. I mean, like I I am suspending a little bit of judgment because I've only seen the first two episodes. It's just this is kind of how I felt uh, going in. So hopefully my opinions change. Uh, and it sounds like you're saying they might. So that that has me a little bit excited. <laughs> All right. And then. Uh, I, I I believe I have decided what our next movie will be after we finish this series. We're going to do Casablanca. Oh, nice. Um, oh, that's right. We were talking about that for a while. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. It's, uh, I've wanted to do it for a long time. It uh, turned 80 years old this year. Uh, I was annoyed to notice that I just met there were theater screenings here in L.A. I would love to have seen it in the theater, and I found out about them just five days too late. Um, but uh, I've I've gone ahead and got myself a copy. I'm really looking forward to watching it and and talking about it. That'll come after we uh, finish up the spy. Um, yeah. You wanna you wanna bore the audience with reminding them yeah. uh, <laughs> what they should do if they think that they know which movie we should talk about next? What what would they yeah. do? Definitely go to spieslikeus.net and shoot us an email. You can go to the contact page and just shoot us an email, and um, Todd or I will get back to you. Um, uh, you can tweet us at spies underscore like us or uh, facebook.com slash spies like us podcast. Uh, we're always happy to hear from fans. We've definitely had some on the show. Last week we had uh, uh, Joe Duffus. That, that was a lot of fun. I'm really glad we did that for Libero. Oh, no, it was before last week. Um, when we did Liburo. Um, so if you have something that you really like, uh, definitely let us know. Or if, if you, you hate us or you love us, whatever, tell us, shoot us, shoot us a line. We're happy to hear from you. Right. And of course the number one best thing you can do for a truly indie podcast like this, the thing that works more wonders than any of the other stuff, like retweeting uh, our, our episodes or anything like that. Tell a friend. If you like the show, tell a friend. If you hate the show, tell an enemy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. The preceding transmission sampled the song Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod and sound effects from freesound.org.
attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net.